Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. And we're back on this Wednesday show, Doug and Shahan, and we're doing what we do in the season. If you listened to the College Football Survivor Show a year ago, you know how the in-season shows work. If you picked us up this off-season, you don't know how these work. What we do, we go all preseason. We establish the teams that we believe are playoff contenders. And then once the season starts, we let the games tell us what's up. And we acknowledge that things change. So every week we kick somebody out of the playoff discussion and we add somebody to the playoff discussion. We never get to more than 12 teams, but we're kicking somebody out each week. Even if you didn't lose, you're just like, well, you don't deserve it right now. So we started with 11 teams, Shahan. We're going to kick somebody out. We're going to add somebody. And then we're going to re-rank everybody in our playoff mix. And again, our playoff mix is different than the AP poll, different than the coaches poll. And one of the things that we're not going to do on this show, Shahan, is kick out Notre Dame, which lost to Ohio State, or Oregon, which lost to Georgia, because we didn't have either of those two teams in our playoff mix to start the season, even though they were number five and number 11. Now that week one is done, do you feel good about the fact that we didn't even have the Fighting Irish and Ducks in there? Yeah, I I mean, and Path was a huge part of the reason why. And like you said, this is not the AP Top 25. This isn't even really at all about, uh, you know, who I think is whatever ranking in the country. Because right now, I still have in my uh, personal 131 ballot, I still have Notre Dame number five. I still don't think that they're a playoff contender, though, because of the path and because of what they are and what they aren't. So, you know, like you said, you need a lot of things to go right in order to be a playoff contender. It's not just quality of team. That's only one factor of many. So, uh, so yeah, I, I feel really good. Obviously, obviously, I was an Oregon skeptic. I don't think they're as bad as 49 to 3, but I definitely think that, uh, that people had a lot of assumption that they'd be able to kind of come back and replicate what they've been. And uh, they lost a lot. They have a new coaching staff. I don't think it's a guarantee. So you referenced something that we do want to direct people to over at CBSSports.com, which is your full-time gig. Are you doing this every week, every week of the regular season on like Monday or Tuesday? You're dropping a ranking of every FBS team in the country, one through 131. Is that correct? And if so, that seems like a daunting task, sir. <laughs> yeah. So, so every, uh, yeah, we, we usually release it on, on Mondays this week because we had games going through Monday. We're releasing it Wednesday, which is today. It, you might, it should be out by the time that people are listening to this podcast. And, uh, so the way that they have it work for us is that we, aren't required to rank all 131 teams. But if you put in a ballot with 131 teams at the beginning of the year, you have to keep that number consistent. And this will come as a shock to all the listeners. Of course, I have a, a ballot with 131 on it. Of course I do. Of course I'm, of course I'm ranking uh, Charlotte and, and New Mexico State and UMass. But, uh, but yeah, so, and then I'm also, I, I'm also generally going to tweet out my top 25 of that group. And again, it, it's, it's fluid. And, and the fact that a team is really high on those rankings does not necessarily mean that they're in our conversation. Do you get any response from people who say things like, I can't believe you had us 92nd, we should be 87th at the worst? 
I, I definitely have gotten that. I definitely, definitely have gotten that before. <laughs> and I do like that is a personality trait that I appreciate because in this business, digital journalism can be a crazy thing. Back in the old days with newspaper, they were saving a spot in the paper for you. And it was like, we made a big white square and you have to write words to put in that white square. Otherwise, there's going to be a big white square in the paper. And now there's no white squares on the Internet. Or the whole internet is an endless white square. And now, now I've blown my own mind. But you can, there is, you can all, because in the white square, it's like, hey, I wrote 650 words. And it's like, well, we have room for 580. Which 70 are we going to chop? No chopping here. So you are often held just to the own standard you create for yourself. And then you also can be driven in the digital, driven crazy in the digital journalism world because the work can never stop. There is no deadline. There is no like, well, that's it. Time to put the paper out. Nothing's going to happen for 12 hours. I can go to bed. That doesn't exist anymore. So the idea that you set an unreasonable standard for yourself that you then must match every week, driving yourself crazy only for your own satisfaction is why I love you. It's for the love of the game, man. It's for the love of the game. I I, I need to know that uh, that the 88th best team in the country right now, in my opinion, is Toledo. I need to know that. Well, let's just be clear about something. It's for the love of the game, and it is also for huge ego. Because you <laughs> think to yourself, if anybody in the country is going 1 through 131, why shouldn't it be me? Because I know more about national college football than anybody out there. If some other gay who's going to do it, then I'm going to do it. There's a part of it that's that. Come on, a part. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll throw a shout to uh, to Chris Vanini at The Athletic, who probably is the one guy who does know uh, substantially more than me about all of that. But I'll, I'll take second. I'll definitely take second. <laughs> uh, and as you noticed, in the format for this podcast that I shaped, it's 11, maybe 12, because that's my bandwidth. You have the ability to consider 131 teams in the Bank. I'm like, can we just, can we do 12? I don't even want to do 25. <laughs> it's a four-team playoff. I just want to think, who are the four best teams? That's basically what we're doing here. Again, how we're different. Let's do this. Let's kick somebody out. We sent out two nominees to the peeps on Twitter, if you want to vote for this stuff, you get to kick people out. And by the way, bias is allowed because there was some bias in one of the votes, which is fine because bias is just another word for passion. And in kicking somebody out this week, the two nominees, I think were pretty clear. The choices are Utah, which was the only team of our 11 that lost. Utah on the road at Florida loses by three on a pick in the end zone in the final 30 seconds. Utah had marched back down and Cam rising. Look, look, look. Diving interception by Florida. The other option, NC State, which was a one point winner over East Carolina. Shahan, have you looked at the voting? Do you know who won? I, I, I do not. I do not. Who do you think the tweeters think should be kicked out utah which lost or nc state that won by a point i think that uh i i think they're gonna vote nc state and by the way for people who didn't watch the game like you said it was a one point game but that does not capture what the hell happened in that football game down the stretch uh east carolina came back 
scored a touchdown, missed the extra point like what you might have seen in the LSU Florida State game to to stay down one point. So then you're like, okay, game over. Well, that sucks. That's that's unfortunate for East Carolina. They get the ball back. They drive down the field and kick, I believe, a 42-yard field goal. Like, not a short one, but like a very manageable field goal and miss. And miss that. Uh, unbelievable stuff. Unbelievable. I love college football. It really is a situation where Utah lost and probably should have won. And NC State won and almost definitely should have lost. So you are guessing NC State and you are correct. The tweeters say boot the pack. 55.5% for NC State, 44.5% for Utah. So as we do on the show, the voters get one vote. Then Shahan gets a vote and I get a vote. We can dive right in maybe to the discussion because I agree with the voters. I think it should be NC State. Do you think it should be Utah or NC State? I think it should be NC State. I mean, I, I got some flack on Twitter because I, I, again, I put in my top 25 and I still have Utah ahead of Florida. Oh, I would give you flack for that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, for me, I just ultimately feel like Utah went on the road and lost to a team that I think is going to be pretty good. Not not elite. I don't think they're going to be a top 10 team, but I think that they're going to be a top 20-ish team. And they lost on the last play of the game, right? Like, they lost an awesome college football game on the road. And, you know, I don't think that that means that they're done for. Now, NC State can kind of build their way back, but NC State was always a potential pick. NC State was always a, hey, the defense is back and the quarterback is back. So maybe they can improve on what they were last season. What we saw in that first game was not improving on what we saw last season. I don't want to talk about NC State. Like that's that's the thing that so the, for the next we're not going to know now until the Clemson game on October 1st. Right. And they can play their way back in on that game. Their next three games are Charleston, Charleston Southern, Texas Tech, and UConn. After that performance by NC State, they don't deserve a conversation in what we're going to do for the next month. Devin Leary, who really elevated them, right? In a, in a league of great quarterbacks in the ACC, Devin Leary is as good as any of them. Devin Leary had his worst quarterback rating since his first start against Wake Forest in 2019 when he made his debut and was... 10 of 40, no, threw for 100, it was 17 of 45, 17 of 45, think about that, 17 of 45 for 149 yards in a 44-10 loss to Wake Forest in 2019, then he played some in 2019, then he played 2020, then he played 2021, then he started the opener in 2022, he was as bad in the opener as he, hadn't been that bad since that game against Wake Forest, that's not it, 17 of 33, 211, one touchdown, one pick. I think they had six shots inside the, the like three yard line at one point and couldn't get in. I, I agree with going for it. You know, I'm reading stuff in the local papers in North Carolina about like the analytics say that Dave Doran should go for it and he's going to be aggressive. It's like, man, like you're having now to persuade people in North Carolina that yes, you should go for it inside the two yard line because when you fail, that's what happens. It's the right call. You've got to execute that. How can you be NC State? against East Carolina and not be able to get into the end zone that many times from the one yard line. They got outgained. East Carolina won the yardage battle 383 to 344. One of the touchdowns for NC State was a block punt, right? Which is like sometimes better to, which is, I don't want to count special teams against the team. 
but they only scored two offensive touchdowns? Like with Devin Leary? Like that's not it. That was not it at all. Any confidence or interest that anybody had at NC State vanished. We'll see you for Clemson. And it's not even about like competing with Clemson. Competing's not good enough. Beat Clemson, or I'm like maybe not interested all year for this show. Good luck trying to win 10 games, get into a New Year's Six. I don't know, but I thought there was something to this team and they didn't show any of it in the opener. You know, and I heard from some NC State fans that, you know, they had issues with their receiver play. They don't feel like they have a lot of depth there. But to me, the argument for NC State was always, well, you have one of the ACC's best quarterbacks. You can make up for that with quarterback play. And that just truly did not happen in this game. And so, you know, I I mean, I'm legitimately concerned to, to have, I think you mentioned 344 yards of offense against East Carolina. That's not a good number. That's really not a good number to have against uh, a team that I think is going to be pretty decent in East Carolina. I don't think this is a bad team that they played, but like parsing through, is this a good team or a decent team in the American Athletic Conference? And by the way, you should have lost to them. I I mean, I, I just I just can't defend that. Right. Like, I can't defend that. And. Not when you're talking about this level, not when you're talking about can you win the ACC and beat Clemson and be better than Miami and everybody else. Yeah, right, right. So at, at like Devin Leary, again, it's not all on there. De- Devin, you know, they won, but like they were up 21-14 and Devin Leary threw kind of a bad pick on the sideline that let East Carolina get in position to drive down and score the touchdown that then led to the missed extra point. It's just that he didn't he didn't elevate everybody else. And the result is NC State's not worthy of this, this conversation for now. Good luck on October 1st. I'm going to have no idea what's happening with you until then. Good luck against Charleston, Chattanooga, or whoever you're playing. But And by the way, this was at East Carolina, right? Which, again, check with your scheduler. I get maybe you're trying to do something nice, but that better be a four for one. Why is NC State playing East Carolina? I heard a lot of criticism of the ACC playing these road games. You know, Virginia Tech went on the road and lost that Old Dominion, and North Carolina went on the road and also probably should have lost to Appalachian State. I could not disagree more. This was awesome. These these are great. I absolutely love these games. Everybody should play games like this. I agree. It's great for everybody except the power conference team that is agreeing to do it and almost don't losing. Don't tell them that. They don't have to know. Ohio State in 02, right? Ohio State in 02 went to Cincinnati and played Cincinnati in Paul Brown Stadium and almost lost. And Ohio State will not play Cincinnati in Cincinnati for the next thousand years. It's like, we're not doing, what are we doing? Sounds like they're cowards. So, so, sounds like they're scared. You're scared is my cautious and smart. My, as I've said, this is my, the most underrated personality trait in the world is caution. <laughs> I Nobody celebrates caution. <laughs> I... I, I absolutely have that trait, but here's the thing. If you're going to brag about how powerful and good you are all the time and how nobody can ever beat you and then say, well, as long as we don't have to play Cincinnati on the road. No, just like, go. <laughs> no, I'm just, but just go beat, go win your conference. Go beat all the teams in your conference. Like, or go, if you're going to lose, you can't play a game that if you win, you get no credit for, but you actually have a chance to lose. You cannot schedule those Could games. Could not disagree more. I think those games are the best. Again, theoretically, for everybody except the main person. The TCU, 
plays SMU every year, and the only thing it led to was Sonny Dykes having a winning streak against Gary Patterson and stealing his job, and that was the best. And you know who didn't think it was the best? <laughs> Gary Patterson, the no longer coach of TCU, who never should have been playing that series. You mean Texas staffer Gary Patterson. <laughs> I just, it's it's so dangerous. Just be careful, guys. Exercise a little caution in your scheduling. Make sure there's up. You have to make sure there's, if you're a power conference team, there has to be upside to every non-conference game you schedule, which is either like, we're definitely going to win and we get a home crowd out of it, or it's a big, exciting game that we're going to get some attention. And if we lose, people will think, well, they lost to a good team. There, You have to find up. You can't be throwing a bone to your in-state opponent. Hey, you know what? Those guys play hard. Let's go down and almost lose to them. Everybody will be happy then, especially that Shahan fellow who ranks all the teams. This will really help when he gets into the 70s. Where do you have East Carolina? What do you have them, like 58th for almost beating NC State? Uh, that is shockingly close, 56. Oh, I can't believe you have them 56. They should be no higher than 58. I love this. <laughs> I love you doing 1 through 31. Uh, East Carolina, 56, 57. Indiana, 58. Northwestern. So, wow. uh, yeah, I think, that, I think that they're clearly better than, uh, than the Big Ten. I would love, I would love to see East Carolina Northwestern. No, I would. Nobody wants to see that. God. Nobody wants to see that. Please don't show me that game. No, nobody wants to see that game. Okay, so we are both in agreement. Goodbye, NC State. And I do think the other point about Utah is don't give up on Utah. There's sort, there was a brief thing of Oregon loses, Utah loses. Well, that's it. The Pac-12 may as well fold. And it's like, you know what? Utah's a pretty darn good football team. That drive at the end after Florida goes ahead, they come right back down the field being exactly who they are. Cam Rising, the quarterback, had a big scramble. They hit the tight ends, Dalton Kincaid and Brent Keithy for like a couple big plays. They they were exactly who they needed to be. And then they had like first and goal to six. They threw incomplete. And then he like, Waited, waited, waited. Plenty of time. Everybody's blocked. Do your thing. And then he tried to squeeze one in, and a Florida guy made a diving pick. And like, what? Like, what are you? What are you gonna do? Yeah. And and the tight end fell. You know, like it, it's a lot of things just kind of went wrong on that play. I, I mean, obviously, it, it's easy to say with hindsight. You got Cam Rising and and Tavion Thomas. I probably would have run the ball there. I don't think you needed to be throwing within the six. But uh, you know, I mean. Again, it's easy to say this stuff in hindsight. I don't think that this means that Utah is not a contender. I think that Utah is still every bit as good as we think that they are. It will make it harder because now they have to win 12 straight games. And that's what that's what it's going to take. And and they have no wiggle room left to stay in this conversation, right? Which means like, hey, Utah, or excuse me, USC is coming to town in mid-October. Like now you, you got to win that to stay in that conversation. So the, 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 the bookend conversation of this is we add a team. And the choices that we gave are – Twitter folks. Again, it's at CFB Survivor Show if you want to vote on this stuff. The the three choices we gave to add Oklahoma, who beat UTEP, and again, perhaps somewhat controversially, we didn't have Utah. Excuse me. We didn't have Oklahoma. The UTEP thing confused me with Utah. Oklahoma beat UTEP. <laughs> we also don't have UTEP in our conversation. We didn't have Oklahoma. We discussed Utah. Excuse me. <laughs> we discussed Oklahoma when we did like sort of a Big 12. We discussed Baylor and Oklahoma on the same show. We put Baylor in the playoff mix. We held off slightly on Oklahoma. Oklahoma beats UTEP 45-13. Florida, 
who when we had a conversation about like who's the third best team in the SEC, you know, we had we put up Arkansas as potentially another team to get in the playoff mix. We we never discussed Florida as a playoff contender. And then Oklahoma State, who's kind of the third team in the Big 12, they beat Central Michigan 58-44 and we got some feedback of like why do you even have Oklahoma State as an option here? I just kind of wanted to put in a third option and honestly they were probably the third best one. I'll tell you Oklahoma overwhelmingly Shahan Oklahoma is the texter pick. And I think it's because you've got some big 12 followers and you tweeted it out and some Oklahoma folks grabbed on and said, go Sooners. Boomer Sooners. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to my guy, Blinken Riley, uh, the, who's a big Oklahoma account on there who absolutely put his finger on the scale, but you know what? Game's the game. Well, listen, if you want to put the finger on the scale, follow CFB Survivor Show, and maybe you can put it on the, on the scale for your team coming up. But in the meantime, Oklahoma got the vote 70.7%, Florida 9.7%, Oklahoma State 36 none of them 16%. Shahan, who do you think we should add to the playoff mix? And I do think none of the above is a fair thing, because at the moment, we started with 11 coming into the season. For a couple seconds here, we have 10. We can stay at 10. Yeah. In uh, so so real quick in defense of Oklahoma State, 22 of those points came in in the fourth quarter when they were like playing against backups. People are looking at a 58-44 score and being like Oklahoma State can't stop anybody again and it's like Jim Knowles went to Ohio State, Oklahoma State will never play defense again. Right. Like they they were up 44-15 at halftime and 51-15 early in the third quarter. Like it, it wasn't a game. Like so in defense of that number, which I know looks kind of funny in hindsight, it really was not a close game at all. Uh, so Florida, obviously, I think, uh, has, makes a compelling case because of what they did against Utah. The concern for me is still the same as it was before the season. They have to play at Georgia and uh, or, or well, they have to play Georgia at a neutral site. I don't think they can possibly beat Georgia. I think it's just a little too early for them. And I, I just don't see them getting into the conversation if they can't make the SEC title game. Because I think that there already will probably be two uh two SEC teams that make the playoff in Alabama and Georgia. So it's just hard for me to imagine that they have a clear path. Now that can change. I mean if Florida State ends up being pretty good, maybe that uh that helps you a little bit, but it's just a lot to ask, I think. And they I will say they also play Kentucky this week. If they beat Kentucky resoundingly I think they can play their way in this week I don't have a huge issue putting Oklahoma in I I think that out of these three teams I I think that I probably would lean Oklahoma um you know again we controversially did not put them in they didn't really show anything against UTEP that I feel like should matter one way or another but if I if I had to pick between the three I think I lean Oklahoma um but like you said I think that none of them deserves real consideration too so I do think the point about Florida playing Kentucky this week and what might be the second best game of the week, we might be putting in Florida next week, but I'll, we'll hold off for now. That's actually that's a pretty tough double dip to open the season. Utah and Kentucky for a first time head coach at Florida and Billy Napier, who just got there from Louisiana. So that's a huge win for them. Anthony Richardson is a dude throwing it, running it. He's going to start getting in the outside of the Heisman conversation kind of as which often happens as be a rare player for a pretty good team. We've seen that work before. He's that there's not a lot of guys like him in college football right now at his size who can do both throw and run. So watch Anthony Richardson. It's fun. 
It's fun to watch Anthony Richardson. And again, we like Billy Napier. I think Oklahoma should be in because I was very okay with leaving Oklahoma out because I wanted to see. And it is UTEP. But I thought there was enough stuff with the offense. Eric Gray, who had been, who was there last year, right? The Tennessee transfer. He's 18 for 140 yards from scrimmage. 18 touches, 140 yards. I thought he looked explosive at times. Marvin Mims, three for 81 catching the ball. Looked a little explosive at times, right? Theo Weiss got the ball in his hands. You, they, it's like a reminder. All right. Some of the playmakers left with Lincoln Riley. Not all of them left. And then Dylan Gabriel, a, a veteran quarterback, you know, had a little wiggle, had a little wiggle by, you know, in, in a zone read and kept the ball and ran, made some throws. I thought it was okay to hold back and just double check. And Brent Venables is good at defense. Okay, great. Offense looked like it had a little pop to it. So that's enough for me because it is Oklahoma. So I don't think it makes sense to hold back any longer. Now, you got to stay. If, if, if you don't show it in the next month, you're not going to stay. But I'm, I'm totally good putting them in right now. This is not like a oh well to me. This is like, okay, maybe even a, maybe even a, we should have had them in at the start. But I'm, I'm okay with not having them in now. But at some point, if we don't have them in, it's going to be like, what are we doing? So <laughs> let's put them in. Oklahoma's in. The, the Twitter people say put in Oklahoma. I agree. You would be okay with nobody, but Oklahoma is the team if you're doing somebody. We're back to 11. Goodbye, North Carolina State. Welcome, Oklahoma. Sounds good. No, I, I think that they definitely – are an easy team to give credibility to, right? So like if we're, I mean, we're going to get to our rankings in a second. There are other teams on this list that I'm probably more skeptical of than what Oklahoma showed so far. We won't really know anything again uh, about Oklahoma until, I mean, at least September 17th when they go on the road and play Nebraska. And we really, really won't know much about them. I think until they play Kansas state the week after that, but I mean, all signs were good early, right? 45 to 13, super easy. Uh, didn't really give UTEP any sort of chance. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. And, and I'm okay building up to that. I'm, I'm okay talking about Oklahoma. They have enough dudes. I, I'm okay talking about Oklahoma. That's our top. That's our, that's our 11 now. We have the 11. If you don't remember who they are, that's okay. Because right after this, we're going to come back. We're going to start ranking them in reverse order. We'll start with our number 11 teams. We'll talk about everybody that matters. What's up with them? There's a Michigan quarterback thing I want to get into. We've got to talk about Georgia and Alabama. We're going to preview this Baylor-BYU game in week two, which is the game of the week. And both of those teams are in our 11 playoff contenders. We've been all over BYU all, all offseason. We've been all over this Baylor-BYU game. We definitely will dig into all of that next on the College Football Survivor Show. Don't miss the College Football Survivor Show bonus episode this week. Available only on Apple Podcasts. There's going to be a lot of focus on quarterback, and I don't think that's honestly the primary issue. Their receivers get no separation, and their offensive line is doing nothing. They are one of the worst offensive lines I've seen from a good team in a long time. And there have been some bad offensive lines. So I, I want to take this away from DJ. I don't think this is fully his fault. Mm. I, I want to say the receivers and offensive line of Clemson, because yes, Kate Klubnick came in and he led a drive down the field that looked very impressive. And I do think he'll probably take over at some point. But <laughs> that's a pretty they, big butt, by the way. Yeah, that, was a, yes, that was a gigantic I know, I know. butt at the end of the I know, uh, ID. I know, I know. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for exclusive College Survivor Show bonus episodes.
All right, Doug and Shahan are back. As we get to Team Shahan, we'll stop and have the conversations that we need to have, the ones that I just mentioned. But let's start with who we have at number 11. And there are, as we go through this, right, you kind of have your expertise and I kind of have my expertise. And then there's the teams that like everybody knows. So sometimes when it's the teams that you have the expertise on, I just think, well, Shahan, I'll just talk about that. So I'm curious to see who you put 11 because the team I put 11 on, I kind of put 11th just because of one of the tweets that you had over the weekend. So who do you have 11th? (laughs) I have a team that played on Monday that uh, needed a nice fourth quarter to beat Georgia Tech convincingly. It's got the Clemson Tigers. I did not like what I saw. Wow. We are going to be in different spots on this Clemson conversation. Okay, I have Clemson six. And the reason I have Clemson six is because I think they're great on one side of the ball. And I can see the potential on the other side of the ball if they change quarterbacks. Yeah, I I love I love being Iowa as well. So (laughs) if Iowa had Cade Klubnik, I would feel better about Iowa. Also, there is no, there are no Ferences calling plays for Clemson, which is an important part of that comparison. You do have a, it's it's not nepotism, but it is like, uh, it is like Dabo's guys, like it is very much like, <laughs> and so no, I mean the thing is right, the quarterback is one thing. I really, really was not impressed with their receivers and offensive line. Like they did not look like. A team against Georgia Tech, by the way. Your receivers aren't getting separation against Georgia Tech. Your line isn't getting push against Georgia Tech. What the hell are you doing? Uh, like, you're going to play better teams in the coming weeks and months, and you can't get push against probably the worst team on your schedule. Georgia Tech's going to go two and 10. Like, they are a bad team. Jeff Collins is going to be out of a job after this year. And, like, you kind of needed some things to go right. To pull away from them. So we did have a pretty hefty Clemson conversation about the quarterback situation, how Dab- Dabba will handle that on the Apple Podcast bonus show. And again, if you guys want to get a bonus episode of this, it's the first show we do each week. We usually record it and get it up on Tuesday mornings. That's that's more of a reaction show. And then this show, we try to make more a little bit pushing forward as we vote and going forward into the next weekend. How are we thinking about teams? We had a big Clemson conversation there. If you want to join us, it's two ninety nine a month for Apple subscribers, and then you get four bonus episodes. So it's seventy five cents an episode to get that bonus. Sign up on Apple. I just think it's about the context of them to other teams. I think I agree with the receivers, and I'm not sure how the receivers are going to get better. Although I thought when Cade Klubnik got in there and started rifling balls and hitting them in the numbers, they all of a sudden looked more open. So I. That's I'm holding on to some of that. And I do think the offensive line will get better, especially when you start a true freshman at right tackle who just looked lost in that game. This is a multiple year trend thing is, I think, my biggest issue. I, I don't know if I can trust their offensive line stuff. It is a tough assumption. I I don't disagree. But I think other teams, I'm, I have almost as many questions about other teams. And I think that defense can carry them pretty far. And does Cade Klubnik and that defense... Is that kind of a lot compared to some other teams here? I would say yes, which is I don't think they're infallible. I picked them for the playoff. I don't feel great about that this week, but the path hasn't vanished to me. 
If they didn't have Cade Klubnik, I would be maybe right here with you. I just think maybe he's a problem solver. And we're going to have conversations like that with some other teams here. So I'm a little... I'm a little surprised you came in last for them because I'll tell you who I had 11th and I need you to talk about them. Is that okay? Okay. Okay. Texas A&M. I have them 10th. What does Texas A&M do better than Clemson? Um, so I think that they, they, (laughs) 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 no, no, I, I, I think that they have clearly more proven playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. And, uh, you know, Evan Stewart came in, looked really good right away. He's a true freshman. Uh, you know, my big question for them, like similar, you know, I think there's some similarity to Clemson was their offensive line did not look dominant against Sam Houston. They, they had some issues. Their quarterback, I think, I, I think that Haynes King is better than DJ for sure. Um, and, you know, I thought that he responded to pressure a little better. The receivers got a little bit more separation. Again, it, it's Sam Houston versus Georgia Tech, like Georgia Tech's probably i mean probably better well, but go to your it, rankings it, check your rankings <laughs> sam houston's not fbs yet sam, sam houston's not fbs oh, yet sorry, but, sorry. but but they are like a really really good fcs team right so like it's probably a lot closer than you think for an fcs versus fbs type uh, versus power five type matchup too uh, i will let's let's see let's go to let's go to the rankings and see where i have georgia tech Do you have, i bet you have georgia tech in the hundreds right i i have them at 83 Oh, very kind. You said they're going to go two and ten. Their coach is going to get fired. I can't believe you have them eighty third. Very kind. Try to get them into the hundreds next week. That that doesn't mean that they're. Well, I mean, let's see. I I the only the only F, uh, power five team right now that I have in the hundreds is Vanderbilt. They are. I guess that is one of those things. Team. There's sixty five yeah. power five teams in Georgia Tech's one of them, and they're eighty third overall. That is pretty bad. Okay. Yeah, no, it's 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 very bad. They're but, not in the MAC. They're not in the MAC. Yeah, <laughs> no, but I think that I think that. With Texas A&M, I, you asked, what, what do they do better? I think that they have a equally, if not more, dynamic running back. I think that they have receivers who get more separation, even though the system holds them back. I, I think that we've seen much better offensive line play in the past from these specific guys, right? Like, so I think that you can count that a little bit towards uh, how you evaluate this group. Like Clemson last year was a bad offensive line all year and brought back some guys who were bad. Texas A&M played well in the latter half of the season. They struggled in the first game, especially, by the way, they were without their center, Bryce Foster, who's maybe their best lineman right now. So, like, I I think that there's just more to be excited about on the offensive side of the ball, and it's more the system holding them back, but that's a whole other conversation. Whereas I don't know whether Clemson has talent right now. I, I don't know whether they have dynamic players who can bail them out. And then defensively, Clemson's a better defense, but, like, I don't think that it's... I, I think that Texas A&M does enough stuff defensively well that I, I think I would still lean Texas A&M over Clemson. You definitely had a tweet early in that game. I think Haynes, K, Haynes King threw an early pick, right? Yeah. And your tweet was like, oh, Haynes King or something like that. <laughs> so the, the stat was the stat was and it got worse uh, after that. So at that time, Haynes King had played four quarters against Kent State to start 2021 and one quarter against Sam Houston in 2022 as the starting quarterback because he got hurt against Colorado and only played, I believe, one series. And in (laughs) those five quarters, he had four interceptions against Kent State and Sam Houston. And then he threw another interception later in the game against Sam Houston. Like, he's going to throw a lot of interceptions if he doesn't clean some of this stuff up. But, you know, it's... 
it's comparable, if not even slightly better than what DJ was doing out there. So that was the tweet. Yes, that was the tweet. So to me, it's quite questionable quarterback play, but I think Clemson's defense is better. So that's why that's part of my my conversation there. So I have Texas A&M 11. You have Texas A&M 10. You have Clemson 11. I have Clemson 6. My number 10 is Utah. And this is sort of some mishmash of, are we going by like just talent who we think would win on the head to head? Because this is not the AP poll, but they did lose. So like, I, I kind of let the fact that they lost. I don't, I don't think I'm shaken about who I thought they were, but they did lose so that's not a great reason if someone wanted to say well the way you guys do this i still have utah sixth i think that would be reasonable but i did let the loss matter where do you have utah yeah i mean i basically did the alternative of what you just said i still have them at seven i i don't think that uh that that game made me question their quality at all they just made some mistakes down the stretch uh, against a pretty good football team and lost the game so like I'm not shaken from that perspective. I still think that Utah is much more proven than uh, the the teams that I have eight through eleven on my list. And so, you know, for me, they they are relatively speaking a sure thing in terms of what they are. And I think the teams I have behind them are less so. I think that's fair, and I and I think it might be even right. And I I might be wrong here, but that's okay. Okay. Who do you have ninth? So I have USC ninth. I have USC eighth, and I think we're going to have a similar conversation here. Yeah, it's they looked really good. They did some exciting stuff. They played Rice, and these guys still have never really played together before. And so, you know, you give them you give them credit for looking good, but also it didn't really matter, right? Like, and they play Stanford this week. I actually think that that's going to be a pretty good test for them because if they destroy Stanford then like I, I think I'm feeling pretty good about that, that this is like a real football team. So, you know, for me, that's just it. I They haven't been proven against anybody. They haven't done anything together. Like we saw the talent. We saw the talent show out in a big way, but a lot of questions still remaining about what this roster is and can be. So I, I almost think it's kind of important that we do have USC this low because there was some pretty hot stuff nationally immediately when you have a big USC win where they put up a bunch of points and Utah and Oregon lose. And it's like, whoa, here we go. Like I had USC in the playoff and I look like a genius now. So a couple things. One is, and I'll I'll yield to your Texas knowledge here. Rice stinks. Yeah, yeah. They okay. Stink. The other thing is USC had three pick sixes. In this game, yeah, two of them that hit off the hands of the receiver who should have caught it and it bounced right off their receiver's hands right to a USC guy who then ran to the end zone. And the third one was the quarterback was getting hit as he went down and threw it right to USC guy. So the if you look at this score and think, boom, shakalaka, what's up, Lincoln Riley dropping bombs on people, 66-14. It's like, well, I got I got three pick sixes because they were playing rice. Hey man, sh- shout out to to Rice's quarterback who's from my hometown. It, it uh, you know, not not the showcase that we needed. No offense to that guy. But <laughs> I think the 66 got people's attention yeah. and I think you need yeah. to know that 21 of that 66 were pick sixes. So, relax a little bit. Caleb Williams, solid. 
right? I think he was 19 of 22, which is which is good, right? Great. I, uh, 19 of 22 for 249. They completed overall 25 completions in the game to 12 different guys. Great. Awesome. But I don't think we know. This was not really a football game, per se, in terms of, you know, what football is. So... I th- I think people who are trying to come here for context, the context is don't get too far out over your skis on USC just because they dropped 66 on a bad team. So you have them ninth and I have them eighth, and I don't think they should be any higher than that. And and I think I think important context to mention, right? Because I think that when you play these games that you're going to win and are supposed to win, I think that actually a lot of the time the halftime score is a little bit more instructive of like what's actually going on. Uh, like I mentioned, Oklahoma State, they, they allowed 22 points in the fourth quarter because nobody cared and they stopped like they played backups like it's it's no big deal. This game was 31-14 at the half like they were up. It, it wasn't a game, but like it wasn't a blowout either. They, they scored. Uh, l- let's see. They scored 28 points in the third quarter. Two of them, uh, two of the touchdowns out of the four were those pick sixes. So, like, I don't know. Cool. Like, I, I just, we didn't learn anything at all from this game, and that's fine. Yeah. So, just chill. That's the only thing. Just chill. I'm going to say, and I have this team ninth, which is behind USC, and I have it for a very specific reason, and I am kind of a hypocrite for having them here for this reason, but we need to have a conversation about this. I have Michigan ninth. Where do you have Michigan? Wow. So I, I'm going to be curious who you have in this top group right now. I have Michigan four because I don't know who else deserves to be four right now. So here's the reason that I have Michigan ninth, because they have a quarterback controversy. Officially, there's no doubt about that. Jim Harbaugh started Kate McNamara against Colorado State in week one, and he was not good. He was nine of 18 for 136. And he had announced before the season that he's starting J.J. McCarthy in week two against Hawaii. And then he's going to make a decision. And that choice is in Cade McNamara's head. There is no doubt about that. He should have thrown a pick in the red zone. I think it was overruled by review. He did not play well. Michigan did a lot of other things pretty well, right? They ran the ball like we knew they're going to. Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards combined 25 rushes for uh, 140 yards and two scores. That's Donovan Edwards stepping in for Hassan Haskins and that two-headed running back. Great. They got some of their receivers back. Roman Wilson had a big play. Ronnie Bell is back healthy. Great for Ronnie Bell. But like they didn't throw it that well because Cade McNamara had a bad game. And now J.J. McCarthy is going to start week two against Hawaii. All the Michigan writers got to talk to J.J. McCarthy. Turns out he'd had a labor issue in the spring. He thought about having surgery. They decided no surgery. Let's just rest it. That's why he wasn't really doing much in spring football. But Cade McNamara after the game was like, I kind of didn't know this was going to be the deal, right? So... That's clunky for now, but I actually the reason I think I'm a hypocrite is because I think this is what Clemson and Penn State should be doing, and they're not. And Jim Harbaugh's doing it. And then I'm like, well, you have a controversy, but you have to. But while you're in the midst of it, I'm going to wonder if it's going to be a problem. So once they get this straightened out, given the way that Cade McNamara played in week one, I think it's pretty clear you can't go on this way. So that last year, J.J. McCarthy worked in an 11 game. Almost every game he had a role. Wrinkle run guy or in blowouts. It wasn't a real role. Now Jim Harbaugh is saying it's on. 
So we have to see how J.J. McCarthy plays, and then Jim Harbaugh has to make a decision. When the decision is clear, I'll be ready to evaluate Michigan. Their defense played well. They had some guys show up who were like, okay, how are you going to replace Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo? Well, that's part of it, right? The, the secondary played well. All the other pieces that worked last year are there, but they got to sort this out. So that's the only reason I have them this low. But I think Harbaugh is right to do it. Because if, if James Franklin said Drew, now listen, J.J. McCarthy is a five-star in year two. Ked Klubnick at Clemson and Drew Aller at Penn State are five stars in year one. It is different. But if James Franklin said Drew Aller start in week two, or Dabo Sweeney said Ked Klubnick start in week two, it'd be like, oh, baby, quarterback controversy. But I would be like, that's the right thing to do. You got to find out. Give the guys a full game and see. So actual kudos to Jim Harbaugh. But be careful. And in the moment in week two, they are dealing with something that most of the other teams aren't. That's why I have them ninth. Why am I crazy for doing that? I mean, I, th- I think that's a little low. Like, I, I don't think they need to be all the way up at four. But, you know, I, I kind of do. So I feel two things. One, I do think that both of these quarterbacks are good enough to win with. Like, I think that no matter, you hear this sort of thing all the time. Like, we actually feel like we have two quarterbacks who can lead us to championship caliber. Well, like, I I think that might be true. I do think maybe either of these quarterbacks can lead them to high highs. So for me, I I obviously see it as an issue in terms of managing personalities. And uh, to to be honest, it doesn't seem like they are doing it the best way based on what Cade McNamara said after the game. But, but, you know, so I, I don't think that the quarterback position is an issue in my mind to this point. Um, we'll kind of see what happens. Like you said, Cade was clearly in his head. If, if that's just how it's going to be, then maybe, maybe Jim Harbaugh bungled this and, and maybe it's going to have negative impacts later. Cause the other part of this too, is that, you know, I, I really need to wait and see JJ McCarthy this week. Cause like, we haven't seen a great passing game from him so far. Like we've seen some good passing games from him so far, but like, it, you know, it's cool that he can run and all. Like, it's cool that he's super athletic, but like, they gotta, they gotta be dynamic in the passing game. And yeah. he hasn't really shown that ever in his career. They haven't asked it, which is weird. I think it was four for four last week. He did get in against Colorado State. He had a, like, a nice 20 yard run that got people excited. So it is a little bit weird the way they've used him. Cause it's not like they were, it's not like as a recruit, he was a running quarterback. I mean, he's a guy who he's, he has that athletic ability for sure. He's very athletic. But he's a thrower, so they're going to ask him. But just what? But again, I think they could win with two. Here's, I guess, his inverse. I think they could win with both. I don't think they can win with two. He's decided we're not doing two, but now he has to pick. But I think both are reasonable options if they are clearly the guy. If he continues this for some reason, he's going to be in their heads, and it's not going to work. But he seems to be saying, "I'm going to pick one. I just needed." some action in games to decide, which means clunky now, but I think we'll work out. Okay. Yeah. And, and I will say, I mean, <laughs> when you have Michigan's non-conference slate, you can do whatever the hell you want because dear God, it, it might be the worst in the country, right? Colorado state with a new coach this week, uh, this past week, Hawaii with a new coach this week and Hawaii's maybe the worst team in the country. Where are they? Let's go to the rankings. I had them 128 and I think I honestly had them too high. Like <laughs> they are bad. They are so bad. Um, but, 
so you got them and then you got Yukon in week three. That's going to be a, which Yukon looks a little better. Yukon definitely. Jim looks Mora a little Jr., better. right? Jim Nor- Mora Jr. Yeah. 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 They're, they're all the way up to 122. Oh, wow. Congratulations to Jim Mora yes. Jr., former NFL coach, now the coach of the 122nd best <laughs> team in college football. Um, okay. So that that's the situation for Michigan. All eyeballs on it. We're going to watch that play out. Who do you have eighth? I have Oklahoma eighth. Um, I, I think that uh, if nothing else, because of hilarity, we need to have USC and Oklahoma right next to each other all year long. So we're constantly going back and forth and yelling at each other in that conversation. But other than that, uh, similar deal as USC, right? Like they looked pretty good against a team that they should look good against. And I don't think we learned anything. Um I will say I think USC probably showed more explosion than than Oklahoma did, but Oklahoma probably looked a little bit more sure in terms of how they tackled, in terms of how they executed. So, you know, for me, I have Oklahoma 8, USC 9. Part of it is also just track record. I think that they deserve that benefit of the doubt. But, you know, again, I, I like I said, I have Utah 7. Oklahoma, USC, Texas A&M, Clemson are all teams that I have major questions about, and the teams uh, ahead of them are the ones that I feel pretty sure about. So I will say, again, you affected me on this because when we did not have Oklahoma in our preseason rankings, you said something to the effect of, "Eh, I feel kind of a little bit weird that we have Michigan in, but we don't have Oklahoma in. (laughs) Right. So now I have Michigan nine. I have Oklahoma four. I basically have Oklahoma in the (laughs) Michigan spot because here's why. Oklahoma knows who their quarterback is. They have a veteran quarterback they believe in. We saw as I said before, some playmaking from some of the dudes on offense. Okay, looks like just double check. That'll going to work. And then they did, they executed on defense. Yes, against a bad comp. But I'm not sure, like, if they were playing this week, if Michigan and Oklahoma were playing this week, I might think that Oklahoma's going to win because Michigan right now, we don't have to really litigate that, isn't sure who his quarterback is. Oklahoma is sure. So solid QB, good, like we're talking about Clemson. Oh, we have a lot of questions about the Clemson pass catchers. I don't have Clemson questions about Marvin Mims and Theo Weiss, right? Some dynamic guys. And then defensively, hey, there's some teams on here where like, can they play defense or not? I don't have questions about Oklahoma's defense. So we didn't have them in. To me, that's a big assumption that that the defense is fixed because they played well against UTEP. And, and, and that's probably true. But in a world where uh, like once you get past the top three, you can start looking for things. I felt like there were enough things to grab on with Oklahoma. I just needed to make sure. That's all. And again, <laughs> I understand it's UTEP. I under, we, right, of course. But not many teams play great opponents. So in that vein, then I grabbed on to the things that Oklahoma and Brent Venables do well, right? Sort of the remnants of some Lincoln Raleigh skill guys. Brent Venables as a defensive genius, and then Jeff Levy, good enough as a coordinator, let's go and just. They rose to the top of a list of maybes. So I understand you can listen to that, but you didn't even have them. But week one affected me, right? That I just, I feel like I got some confirmation of Oklahoma, but I think an Oklahoma-Michigan direct comparison for the two of us isn't unfair, right? Very good programs, very good talent, not tier one right now, but at their best, they're going to be well-coached and they're going to execute and they're going to have some dudes who can do things. So, okay, we just sort of have an opposite view of them right now, and I think we'll get closer to each other in the next couple weeks. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We have not gotten to either Baylor or BYU, and we have not gotten to Georgia and and Alabama, and we have not gotten to Ohio State. We'll do all that next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. 
Okay. Who do you have number six? I have BYU number six. I have BYU number seven, but we're in the same range here. Where do you have Baylor? And then we'll talk about the Baylor-BYU game. Yeah, I have them number five. Okay. I have Baylor five and BYU seven with Clemson in between. You have Baylor five and BYU six. BYU is home in this game, 10-15 Eastern on Saturday night. BYU is home. BYU is favored by three and a half, even though Baylor is ranked higher and Baylor is higher in our rankings right here. There's one big thing hanging over this game, and you have talked about it. The most dynamic guy on BYU's team, they're not sure he's going to play, and that's rough. Yeah, they they could be down both of their top two receivers. Uh, Pukanukua, uh, apparently the deal is like an ankle injury. They think he's probably going to play, but if he's limited at all, that's that's concerning. I believe he had five catches for 168 last year against Baylor. So like he was their offense in a lot of ways. And he scored on a 75-yard jet sweep on the like the first offensive play of the game for BYU in week one. Yeah, like he's really, really good. Um, And then and then it's don't believe it's Gunner Romney. Did you ever get any feedback from our nine minute Who Are the Romneys discussion <laughs> last time we did I didn't. BYU? Okay. Good. I didn't. But it's probably a good thing. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, but I, I did definitely uh, get questions about it when I brought up that there was a Romney on the team a couple of days ago. And they're like, there are Romneys? I hope, oh, buddy, are there Romneys? But, uh, but Gunner Romney has missed the last three weeks and nobody's really sure why. Uh, there's like some stuff going around, but like, again, no- nothing's confirmed right now. And so it sounds like he's probably not going to play. And he had 81 yards against Baylor last year. Now they are listed on the depth charts that have been put out for this week. They are both listed as starters, Romney and Nakua. So that, what does that mean? I don't know, but that, you know, there's no sure thing either way right now, but but when you have an ankle injury, it looks like Nakua turned his ankle for a speedy for a speedy guy and an ankle. That's not a great combo. Yeah. And, and so these two teams, I, I will mention, I think it's important. These two teams played last year and Baylor won pretty easily. Uh, and the thing that BYU was able to do really well against Baylor was sort of that big downfield passing game. Uh you know, they, they really relied on, on Nakua getting jump balls and things like that. That's how we had such a big game. Baylor's corners are going to be bigger this year. They're like, they, they were running out some like five, nine, five, 10 guys last year. Everybody now that they're planning on starting at corner is like six, two. I, I don't know if that fixes that problem because they also probably are going to be worse in coverage because they've played less than some of the guys who played last year. But like, you know, that, that's an interesting factor to me. Last year they had, uh, BYU had Tyler Algier. Couldn't get anything going at all against Baylor's defense. Baylor completely, completely shut him down. Um, but, you know, these are these are two of the best trenches teams in the country, you know, especially on the offensive line. Uh, you know, for people who don't know, uh, BYU's offensive coordinator and offensive line coach from the Zach Wilson team went to Baylor, was a huge part of their turnaround last season. So, like, there's a lot of fun storylines about this game. And so I think the question's going to be, is Jaron Hall, the quarterback for BYU, able to kind of step up and really outplay Blake Shapen in his first, you know, meaningful starts, I, I guess, uh, outside of that Big 12 championship game, right? Like, this is the first time that he is playing a real team as the full-time starter who's gone through camp and all that sort of stuff. And, and I think that Jaron Hall, 
if either of those guys play, either Romney or Nakua or both play in this game, they have a lot more proven pieces outside. But, you know, Baylor's got a lot to to rely on to, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So Shapin played pretty well in week one, right? He caught, he dropped a couple deep balls on people's heads. He, what you were impressed. I like following you on Twitter on Saturdays. <laughs> I do tweet a lot. <laughs> you were like, okay, Blake Shapin. Right, that he he had a couple things that caught your eye. He had a couple throws that are, and, and part of it is the guys the Baylor's had there. But like a couple of the throws that he had in that game, and it's against uh, I don't even remember, I don't even remember what F- it was against Albany. 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 Yeah, so yeah. like against nobody. Like the point is not that the competition, but just like the quality of the throws. A couple of the ones that he had for touchdowns were probably the best touchdown passes I've seen at Baylor since like. Bryce Petty like that's that's how long it's been you know it's been eight years since since I've seen throws like that in games and and again you know I, I think that they showed enough at receiver that I was pretty impressed you know Monterey Baldwin is somebody who's just incredible speedster I, I, who I liked a lot so like I think that they do have a downfield passing game the one thing that I think that maybe would be a slight cause for concern is their running game got off to a little bit of a slow start as they kind of tried to work through some things. But, you know, that kind of happened last year, too, and it didn't and they kind of just rounded into form. So I don't necessarily think it's a it's a warning sign. But, you know, I, I think this Baylor team offensively has a chance to be better. So BYU, Chris Brooks transfer at running back to replace Algier. He had like a 52 yard touchdown right up the gut. It's like, OK, that looks good. And you watch. I think in the offseason, one of the big things when we talked about these teams, Baylor lost all its skill guys. So it's like, well, who? Okay, Trench is good. Dave Aranda defense, good. Blake Shapin, they booted the starter to give him the ball. Okay, but who's going to have the ball in, in their hands for Baylor? Whereas BYU, you go through Chris Brooks as a transfer, and then you go Romney and Nakua. It's like, okay, well, now we're at a spot where you don't know if Romney and Nakua are going to play. If Romney and Nakua play, and are close to themselves, I think BYU is maybe the better team. Maybe. I think it's close. If they don't play, and I think you had said this, Shahan, if Nakua especially, who's going to be the most dynamic offensive player in the game, if he can't play, can BYU win if he doesn't play? And and if he's not 100%, right? Like, or at least really close to it, because... He was that mismatch last year. That That's the guy who really was the source of all of their offense in that game last season. And, and BYU kind of struggled to move the ball in that game. You know, he had 168 yards and a touchdown. He had a 52-yard catch. Like, he was dynamic. And I think if BYU is going to win this game, they have to go over the top of that Baylor defense. They can't go through it. There, there's no, I don't think they have any chance going through the Baylor defense with what Baylor brings back on their front, what they did, uh, you know, to, to bolster a group that played really well last year. Again, I mean, Tyler Algier was one of the best running backs in the entire country last year. Went 15 for 33 against Baylor last year. Like that's, yeah, <laughs> that's you dominance. have to go over these defenses. Yeah. You have to go over the top. And if they can't get over the top, I have a lot more confidence right now that Baylor does have that ability in 2022 than they did in 2021. So it's it's going to be interesting. I, I think if if you get great Nakua and Romney games, then BYU definitely can win this game. And and certainly I think it's going to be one of the most circled games on their schedule for the entire year. You know, playing a future conference mate, playing a team right now that's, uh, I, I think they're number nine in the country in the AP poll right now. It's going to be, I mean, that place is going to be jumping. It's going to be a great atmosphere. But 
I mean, if those guys aren't fully healthy, I, I just don't know. And it's one of these things. This is really important because BYU gets Oregon next week. Oregon certainly looked like a team that BYU can beat. They have Notre Dame on the schedule later. They have Arkansas on the schedule later. Baylor, as it turns out, I think is going to it's going to be the best team they play. Be undefeated BYU. If it happens, is going to be sitting there waiting for things to go wrong. But they have to be undefeated, and this is their toughest test. And they might not have their best guy. Baylor. Is trying to win the Big 12 regardless, but it's going to be hard to be a Big 12 champ with a loss to BYU and and say like, hey, put us in the playoff, right? So this is a huge playoff implications game. We're super psyched for it. Jaron Hall and Blake Shapin, it could just be which quarterback plays better because all around them, offensive line, defensive line, just fundamentally solid football with Kalani Sataki and Dave Aranda as the head coaches here, they're just going to play good. This is not Jeff Collins, Brian Kelly kind of stuff, right? This is not Mike Norvell running a pitch on the one yard line when you're trying to run off the clock. These are good football teams and someone's going to have to make a play. We won't, we don't really do picks on this, but I don't, I think not knowing the status of Nakua and Romney, like you almost can't make a pick to make it in the middle of the week. It's, it's so, it's so dependent on, how much they can play and how they are when they play. We both have Ohio State third, I assume. Yes. I don't know that there's much conversation here. I think Ohio State is like the 30th, not 30th, the thirdest, the thirdish, the most thirdish team that you could be right now. And I think some Ohio State fans are how could how could the Buckeyes be number two and beat number five and drop? Like you just have to lose that thinking. That's not the conversation here. They did beat a good Notre Dame team. Is it a great Notre Dame team? I don't know. How many great teams are there? They beat a good Notre Dame team. We kind of covered this on the, the bonus pod the other day, so we don't need to go in depth here. But I think the, the the basic question here is, do we have any doubt that right now we think Ohio State is a clear notch below Bama and Georgia, but also a clear notch above everybody else, which is why I called them the thirdest third team ever. Yeah, I, I I don't I don't think I want to go as far as saying that they're a notch below those two teams, but you know I, I think that I had assumptions about Ohio State and what they would be able to do in, in the past game, especially that didn't come true as yet. And so you know, for me, it's just I I think that uh, that obviously you know with Georgia, we saw them flex, we saw them flex against a really good team. You know, Alabama. It's more projection, obviously, than it is anything else. But like they also did what they were supposed to do. And so, you know, I, I think that Ohio State will have opportunities to prove themselves. But especially if Jackson Smith and Jigba's out, I'm going to be curious to see how do they look? Who steps up? Who are the pieces? Do they build chemistry with CJ Stroud? Because I, I think that, uh, you know, again, we, we talked about it on the Tuesday show. I don't want to talk about it too much. That is what makes them championship caliber is the quality of that passing game. And if it is not as good as it was last season by really any extent, then I think that all of a sudden everything's thrown into question. Who do you have two? So I have Georgia two and I, and I have Alabama one, but all right, I have Georgia one and Alabama two. Yeah. And, and which is totally fair, which is totally fair. Um, I, I think for me, Right, like Alabama played Utah State, who's like a pretty good group of five team. Like they won the Mountain West last year, but they also don't seem to be quite as good as they were last season. And they did what you're supposed to do. 55-0 is is shocking, right? Like the the thing with Alabama is 
this game was like, cause, cause last year, right? They play these kind of close games and they kind of like pulled away at the end of games. This was the, the first game since that 2020 season when they went undefeated with Mac Jones, where it was like, Oh, it's the first quarter and the game's already over. And like, it's not going to be close and there's nothing that's going to happen and nothing's going to change anything. It was 41 to zero at halftime, right? Like it's been a while since we've seen Alabama do one of those games, especially against again, a Utah state team that I think is pretty good, even though obviously again, not great. And so, uh, you know, may, maybe I'm, I'm pushing in some of my preconceived notions about Bama into it, but, and, and also, I mean, I, I'm definitely lower on Oregon than most people, but you know, I, I, I have Alabama still one and Georgia still two. I think, Flex was the correct word to use for what Georgia did against Oregon. And listen, um, the Stetson Bennett conversation like is kind of over. And I think there have been like there's a lot of straw man conversation with Stetson Bennett. Well, nobody thinks it's like, listen, I mean, the guy they won a national championship with them. I don't know. But like, is he is he Lamar Jackson? Is he Tom Brady? Is he? No. No, like why? So he's a good quarterback that they won a national championship with. He threw for 368. There is a path for Stetson Bennett to win the Heisman. There is, which is no, and, and like, but but honestly, it's Georgia's the best team, and you don't know who to give it to on Georgia. And we have the, and it's like last year they tried to say, is it maybe Jordan Davis who plays forty six percent of the defensive tackle snaps? And this year Georgia goes, actually, should we try the quarterback who might win back to back national titles? But I did see a stat that like his air yards. We're among the lowest in the country. It's easy throws, but guess what? They work. So is Stetson Bennett a superstar? That's not the conversation we're having. That offense worked, right? That offense worked against Oregon and they spread it around. Brock Bowers didn't do much. They're great tight end, but Kenny McIntosh, nine for 117. Lad McConkey, five for 73. A.D. Mitchell, four for 65. Kiaris Jackson, three for 45. Bowers only had two catches. They have another tight end, Darnell Washington, who is hurdling people and steamrolling them. And they just, it's like, well, who are, they get, who are their skill guys? They lost Jermaine Burton. What are they going to do? It's like, well, they're going to do that. And then guess what? Nolan, they only have three starters back on defense. Nolan Smith's still there. Chris Smith's still there. Jalen Carter's still there. And then a bunch of guys who were backups last year. Keely Ringo's still there at corner. There's a little bunch of backups who kind of look like last year's starters. And they flexed. And they just flexed. And, and listen, last year, because I will say there are Ohio State fans who are saying, how come everyone's like not giving Ohio State credit? Last year, Georgia barely beat Clemson in the opener, but Georgia got this credit. A year ago, when Georgia beat Clemson, we were like, wow, those are two great defenses. Can either team score? This was not a hoe. Watch out for. But this was Georgia. Both sides flex. And not because Stetson Bennett is C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, but because Todd Monken, the offensive coordinator, is finding ways to make it work. And they do have some guys who can be dangerous with the ball in their hands. And it doesn't look like the defense dropped off that much. So that's why they're number one for me. Yeah. The top receiver in the game, uh, you mentioned kind of the short air yards was a running back, Kennedy, Kenny McIntosh. Uh, he had n- nine catches for Georgia because like they kind of just didn't do that much. 
it was very funny to me during the whole like, well, Georgia's just got more of the recruiting stars. They just got the stars type thing when like Stetson Bennett and some dude named Lad McConkey were just flexing all over Oregon's defense. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not obviously it's a big part of the thing that Georgia has big recruiting stars, but also like we have not seen Oregon play like a team that has the recruiting stars that they have. Like people just assume that, oh, well, you just recruit some good players and then you'll become Georgia. And it's like, that really doesn't happen, right? Like, like Alabama recruits like that, Georgia recruits like that, Ohio State recruits like that. It's not a guarantee if you don't, one, recruit the right players. You, you can't just lean on stars. And two, you, your guys got to do stuff. Like, your guys have to play like it. Can I just I, I don't disagree on Oregon. Oregon beat Ohio State in week two last year. So... It's not like Oregon's terrible. Maybe they were overranked this year at 11, but to go from Anthony Brown to Bo Nix at quarterback, I don't know. That's kind of the same. They don't have Kayvon Thibodeau anymore. They didn't have Kayvon Thibodeau against week two against Ohio State last year, and they still won. And like, I, I, and I get it. I, they lost C.J. Verdell. I, I get it. They lost some other guys. But I do think that's worth remembering. If I just You can't be too dismissive of Oregon. This really is a Georgia conversation, right? Because the only teams that played anybody – were Ohio State and Georgia in week one. And Ohio State played five and Georgia played 11, and maybe both five and over 11 were overranked. But as we just said, well, who else are you supposed to rank? And and Ohio State beat Notre Dame solidly, didn't dominate him. Georgia demolished Oregon, demolished on both sides of the ball. So in the process of trying to put, like, I'm not really pulling back anything on Georgia because the 368 from Stetson Bennett is inflated, but it's going to be inflated all year because they're going to keep doing this to people. No, no, no. And, and, and so this this is not me dismissing Georgia by any means. This is me saying that, like, there is – when you recruit great players, there are only a couple programs that take those great players and make them greater. And I think that Georgia is getting into that range of, man, when you go there as a top, top type commit – you're going to come out even better. And that's basically a lock. And, and, you know, again, I, you, you want to go back to the 131. I've got Oregon 27, right? Like, and I, I had them in like, I think I had them like 23 before the season. Like, I, I, I don't see them as being a great team. But like you said, I mean, it, it's not just stars. And, and part of this, right, is a conversation with me kind of subtweeting Tex A&M. You think that you can just recruit a bunch of great players and like all of a sudden you're going to become Georgia. Well, no, you have to like do stuff with them. You just have to. I, I, I like that. What Georgia's demolition of Oregon says about <laughs> Texas A&M's looming failures by Shahan Jaharaja. I love stories like that. So I'm very comfortable with Georgia at one. They look like clearly the two best teams to me. But I don't quibble with Alabama 1, Georgia 2. We're just going to be having versions of this conversation the whole year. I did not pick Georgia to make the playoff because I thought, okay, you'll stumble somewhere. That did not look like a team ready to stumble. But again, now Florida looks like they've got a little bit of a pulse. I'm not saying Florida is going to beat Georgia. We have to see what Kentucky and Tennessee and everybody else look like. I don't know. Maybe they just had a thing for Dan Lanning, their former defensive coordinator, who's Oregon's head coach. I, I, I don't know. But that was something. That was something and they've got to be the top two teams and again nobody drops you don't own your spot but they just they have to be the top two teams so in the end you have bama one i have them two you have georgia two i have them one we both have ohio state three you have michigan four i have them nine we both have baylor five 
You have BYU 6, I have BYU 7, but we're having the same conversation there. You have Utah 7, I had Utah 10. You have Oklahoma 8, I have Oklahoma 4. You have USC 9, I had USC 8. You had Texas A&M 10, I had Texas A&M 11. You have Clemson 11, I had Clemson 6. So the three places we really disagree, you and I basically flip-flop Michigan and Oklahoma, as we said, and then I'm much higher on Clemson than you are. You had Clemson last, and I have them in the middle of the pack of this group. We'll do that every week. The the Apple show will be a little more hot, like, hey, here's what we this is what we think of what just happened. And then this Wednesday show a little bit more. Okay, now looking ahead, what's gonna happen? Super psyched for Baylor, BYU. The loser might stay in our rankings. Maybe. Also, Florida, Kentucky. Florida wins. Florida might be joining the rankings next week. So we'll have to see how that shakes down. Alabama, Texas, we didn't talk about. Because, Shahan, I don't particularly think anyone thinks that we need to talk about it on a playoff show. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a playoff yeah. show. It's I want to make playoff. sure we had a chance to say that. Okay, we, <laughs> we really appreciate you guys joining us every week. Again, try that Apple show. It's $2.99 a month. You get four shows. Read Shahan at CBS Sports. But thank you so much for being here. Football is here. We are here. And you are here with us for Shahan J. Haraja. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.